Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Rick Morton. All right, welcome again to the Think Orphan podcast. This is Rick Morton, your co-host. If for those of you that weren't with us for the opening uh, edition of the Think Orphan podcast for this season, I'm going to be joining Phil uh, as part of the team here. Really excited uh, to be to be part of this the the team and in this seat for the season to be joining my great friend Phil Dark to. to lead these conversations, and so we're uh, we're pretty pumped today about the conversation that we have to present to you. Um, and so I'm going to let Phil kind of jump in and fill the gap with uh, with this conversation, and uh, and let's get right to it. Yeah, you know, so as always, we're going to introduce this interview and let you hear it. And then Rick and I afterwards are just going to talk a little bit about it. So I, I'm very, very excited for the season, as I talked about in the in the preview show. So, folks, if you didn't hear that, go back, listen to it. You'll hear a little bit more from Rick. Um, he also co-hosted um, the beginning of last season as well. So he's not he's not uh, new to the podcast, and he's not and he was on very early as a guest. So it's just a great friend and brother, and uh, and we're very excited for the season. So. This interview is no exception to how excited we are. Uh, it's Dr. Caroline Leaf. For those of you who may know her from uh, Switch on Your Brain, she's had some TED Talks. She has a few new books. I think the newest of hers is The Perfect You. Um, and she is a woman who is brilliant. Um, you're going to hear that in this little short interview. She also has a website that she talks about in the interview, a TV show or TV uh, you know, uh, show that she has that interviews different people about these these uh, amazing, super important issues about the plasticity of the brain, which applies so much to this work that we're doing with the orphaned and the vulnerable. So, you know, just get out your notepad, and, and I also encourage you, as always, to engage the conversation. Send us emails, think or info at thinkorphan.com. You can comment on this, on the show notes of this podcast. If you have any questions about anything, you can go to those show notes, too. And, you know, and uh, you can also comment on Facebook and just engage the conversation with us and any questions you have, any things that you want us to expand upon and any guests, other guests that you might want us to to interview. But without any more from us on this, we're going to take you right to this interview with Dr. Caroline Leaf. Dr. Leaf, it's so great to have you on the Think Orphan podcast. It's so good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. I've been so excited for this. It's been something I want to do for a long time. Uh, read your book, Switch on Your Brain. Absolutely you. loved it. Hope to be able to read the other books that uh, you've written. Thank you. Um, just We just finished. You just spoke at the Research Symposium at the KFO 2018 Summit. Yeah. And man, you know, every time I hear you, it encourages me um, to think better and to think healthier. And I'm excited to be able to talk with you and share with our audience, you know, what that means and what that looks like and why it's so important. Um, Thank you. So, you know, first of all, I just want you to just introduce yourself to our audience. So I imagine a lot of our audience has never heard of you, um, even though you have so many books out there and have done so much and spoken. You've been on TED, you know, TED Talks and everything else. But for those who don't know about you, can you just briefly share kind of who you are and, and how you got to be where you are today? Sure. Well, I'm basically a cognitive neuroscientist and communication pathologist. And I started off my career just wanting to understand the mind-brain connection. And that's pretty much what I've done for 30 years is research the link between the mind and the brain. 
within obviously the, the underlying principle there is that the mind is not the brain, that the mind and brain are separate and that the mind works through the brain. And it was based on those principles that I got into the field that I did and working in clinical practice and doing research, which I still continue to do, to show people that you know we're in control of how we build our thoughts. Our thoughts don't control us. We, as we think, we change our brain. We influence our physical and mental health. We have so much power inside of us, which is great. So no matter what we've gone through in life, we can deal with it. I think yeah. that's a very strong message is that because you're all going through different levels of of things and issues and there isn't anyone exempt. And some people have it really badly and much worse than others. And, you know, we, we're all supposed to help each other and operate in love. So the science just confirms everything about operating in love, that your mind can change your brain. And, and that's what just drives me and has driven me. I've been doing this for years. I live in America now, but, uh, and I globally teach around the world on the mind-brain connection in churches. I train doctors. I do a lot of different things in different arenas, um, and I do I have a TV show and you know all the normal stuff and books and whatever to help people to understand the mind-brain connection. Yeah, no, and I'm very thankful that you do that. And before we get into the kind of the meat of what we're going to be talking about today, can you share with everyone um, your website, how people can, what that kind of one-stop shop and for all these TED Talks and books and everything else they can find Absolutely. out more about they you? They can find everything at drleaf.com, okay. um, which is super easy. So dr, uh, dr at drleaf.com, D-R-L-E-A-F. So, so drleaf.com. Yeah, that's okay. it. Dr. Very Leaf. simple. Dr. We'll have that on the, on the show notes. I'll also link to some videos, some different things. I know I've seen you at Q. There's some Q Talks, some other things like that as well. So um, I also pick up a lot of those talks on my on my social media, specifically Instagram. If they go to Instagram, okay. they can click on all the other TV shows and podcasts and all that stuff and okay. take you all backwards and forwards. Which is, is that just Dr. Way. Leaf as well? Also Dr. Caroline Leaf. So Dr. all my social media handles are Dr. Caroline Leaf. Okay. But you can get this through any avenues. Okay. Well, great. No, that's, that's great. And I encourage everyone to go out there. I'm sure that this, this, that we are definitely not going to be able to cover everything in this, in this short podcast interview, but, um, hopefully it will encourage you, inspire you to go and, and check out all those things online and, and, and buy our books. Because I know, like I said, I've read, I've read switch on your brain a few times and every time I read it, I get something new out of it. So thank you. Well, so the first thing I just want our audience to kind of understand is what, it, what is neuroplasticity? And what does it mean for our brains? Okay, well, it's a really great concept. It was only really it was only really accepted in the mid nineties. In the eighties, I was doing research in neuroplasticity, but there were only a handful of us in the world that were um, doing it because we were told we were crazy because they said, the, you know, at that stage we thought the, they thought other scientists that the brain couldn't change. But mm. actually, if you think of it instinctively, every time you're thinking, you do grow, you keep changing, right. and your brain is where your memories are stored. So obviously if you change, your brain changes because your brain just does what it tells you yeah. to do. So it's a very logical concept. And so neuro, neuro means brain, plastic means to change. And what it means is that your brain can change. Your brain is your brain keeps growing, it's constantly developing. Every thought that you have, every experience, every moment of every day, it's that that is that is um those are signals that are moving through your mind and your mind moves through your brain. And that signal causes changes in the genetic structure, which means that your genes are expressing, which means that you actually building stuff. So you're literally creating physical matter, building real thoughts in your brain out of your mind. So mind creates matter, which is quite an interesting concept. So yeah. thoughts are real things and they look like trees inside your brain and the branches keep changing. And that's essentially what neuroplasticity is, this ability of our minds to change your brain. Yeah. And that, that's something that I know you, when you speak on stages, you typically have, maybe you always have, I don't know, the kind of the dead tree yeah. and the living tree plant, whatever on the stage, just to yes. show the difference between kind of healthy the, thinking and toxic thinking. Right. Yeah. Which is so powerful. 
Um, now, in the context of orphan and vulnerable child care, yes, why is this important? Well, the patterns for adulthood are laid down in childhood. But that's almost negative. Even though it's true, yeah. it's negative because people think, oh, well, that's it. Now that's my pattern. But what's beautiful about neuroplasticity is that no matter what has happened in your past, so the stamps of the past don't have to continue to determine your future. So neuroplasticity shows us the science of uh, to um, it shows us that as we change our mind we can actually change these situations so in terms of orphan care that have been through the probably lack of touch um, vulnerable to all kinds of abuse not having the correct loving environment that they need to emotionally develop etc all the things that we know of um, that has leaves a definite footprint on the neurophysiology of the brain and the body um, but the hope is that this can be changed um, so as we as we immerse each other in love as we get these kids into environments where they are able to feel safe this is when they're able to then deal with these issues one thing at a time as they're growing up depending on ages as well as they get older they can deal with more when they're more linguistically mature etc and more intellectually and emotionally mature but what it means for orphans is that we can we can deal with the pain of the past the past doesn't have to control our future you know it's not the past owning us we own the past and I think that's very profound because we actually can redesign the past. I always talk in my research, I talked about a concept, I, I researched a concept called reconceptualization, which is a big part of the techniques that I have developed. And to reconceptualize is to take the story, which is your story, and not deny it happened, not suppress it. Both of those are going to damage your brain and damage your life and damage your mind, etc. But to actually take ownership of those, acknowledge them, even though they're painful, and then change them. What do you want? So you redesign them how you'd like them to be. So you get to the point where you've eliminated that toxic physical issue in your brain, and it's become a healthy new issue. That's why I use the wiry tree on the mm -hmm. stage when I teach in the green healthy tree, because your thoughts literally look like trees. And it's from our thoughts that we actually will perform so our words and our actions our life our, our life comes from our thoughts so if we can identify the thoughts that are blocking us becoming who we are we can then redesign those rewire them they literally melt down in the brain i mean this is this yeah. is a physical fact and we reconceptualize them so we remember how what happened to us but we can tell the story in a very positive way and that's essentially what this gives you hope and i have all the techniques for that and i've developed them in my clinical practice and researched them and science is amazing when it comes to helping us to change things right. and thing change obviously people know it doesn't happen in a day right. but it also doesn't happen in 21 days which a lot of people yeah. think it takes 21 days to build a long-term memory but a minimum of three cycles of 21 so 63 days to change and build a new habit and the more you think about something the more it grows so that goes for the good and the bad so that's yeah. known as the plastic paradox that you can go in either direction mm -hmm. So it's to give people this knowledge and this awareness, which is what I've done with my work. I've worked with lots of orphans. I've worked with a lot of people in abused and impoverished situations where they've had to change their mindsets, literally, and to know how to do that. And So, yeah, so it can be done. I think that's where the you can change your mind. You can change your life. There's right. hope, tremendous hope. Absolutely. That's where the hope is. Now, how does that replay, how does that relate to, and, and what what are your thoughts on the, the attachment theory and and, you know, 80% of brain development happens before the age of two and things like that. Because, you know, you hear all these things that, that often in an orphan vulnerable child, like you said, it, it kind of, to me, it deflates the hope a bit. You know, you're like, oh my gosh, what the, how do we deal with this then? So how does that, because we know attachment's important and we know that the brain does develop a lot when the, in the children. So how does that relate to what we're talking about here? Because I think that, you know, there's truth in that, obviously, but... What, on the flip side, if that happens, 
we're still not out of hope, right? And so how does how does all that come together and relate for, for our audience? I imagine a lot of our audience is sitting here going, how does their head spinning right now going, wait, there is there's great hope, but we still want to make sure that children attach properly as children. Okay, so right? to answer that question, number one, it's there's, the answer I'm going to give is very hopeful. Mm-hmm. A lot of the training that we've had in, and I talk in general across the globe, in all fields um, related to sort of psychological, neuropsychological stuff, um, has has changed. Mm-hmm. Science grows. Science mm-hmm. moves and, and science pretty much dies one funeral at a time. So a lot of that research, that when people say that your brain 80% is developed at the age of two, um, your brain is never fully developed. Right. So the basic structures of your brain take about 18 to 24 years to actually mm-hmm. develop. So in that process, that was extremely vulnerable, absolutely. But your brain takes a lifetime to mature. So damage does occur when we go through abuse, absolutely. Because our brain responds simply to what the signals are that are coming in. So if abusive signals come in, it will, it, will ta- it will damage the brain. But the brain can change. It's very shocking for children. We see that's why we see patterns going into adulthood. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing is, is that the, the, the teaching that the brain couldn't change in the 80s, even the early 90s, even into the late 90s, that's wrong. It can change, number one. Number two, if we teach a person how to deliberately and intentionally use their mind correctly, they can rewire the brain. You can unbecome what you've become. Thirdly, um, it's the, the damage is not completely, like it is about 80% done by the age of two. That's not actually accurate science right. at all. The other thing that are... Uh, that by the age of five, all the patterns are set and set for life. This is all not science. It's okay. not correct. It's very old science. Yeah. The new science shows that no matter what the age, no matter what the situation, you can always heal. You can yeah. always overcome. And the key, however, is not to try and forget your past. Is as I keep on saying, it's to reconceptualize your past and yeah. make it work for you, not against you. You own your past, and that's the hope that we can change. Right. So attachment theory, absolutely. The the old the attachment theory under the sort of more old older thing is that if. I heard a psychiatrist saying this the other day, that a child who doesn't bond properly at the age of two will probably never be able to bond. Right. And ever, and that's not true. Yeah. Because if you immerse someone in love, you bring the natural wiring back. We naturally mm-hmm. wired for love. That's what science shows. There isn't a single structure in our brain for anything that's to- toxic or yeah. negative. So therefore, as soon as we receive, learn to respond, and you do if you're getting abuse, you, you, you wire in something that's not natural. So right. as soon as you immerse a child back in a natural environment of love, you can reverse that trend. So absolutely, reattachment can happen. So yeah. it doesn't. That's a very limited. The concepts cor- is correct that it affects attachment, but the concepts incorrect in that you can't fix that. Right. Someone can always learn to love because we naturally learn to love. Yeah. It's a matter of identity. It's a matter of trust. It's a matter of various things being built up, and it's a matter of doing it properly. And it's also a matter of not medicating these kids mm-hmm. because when you medicate a child, you numb their emotions and you damage the brain. So it's very hard for them to fight against that damage in the brain. And which is unfortunately a lot of kids in orphan environments yeah. in developed countries, not undeveloped, are getting way too many drugs, which they shouldn't be, which is, I believe, a form of child abuse. Yeah. So, There's a lot, a lot there. there. <laughs> There's so much there, man. I wish you're we could unpack every. No, I'm shaking my head in a good way. It's like there's so much to unpack, but I also know we can't unpack it all today. No, um, but they'd all, it, fortunately for all of us, it's it's in your it's in your materials. It's in I know a lot of the TED talks, a lot of the other talks. You you unpack some of this, and in your books, you unpack it fully. Um, one of the things I want to focus on, though, is something we talk a lot about on the show. I think it's there's so much hope to what you just said, and that's what I absolutely love about. Um, your, your, you know, the research, the science, the, what you always talk about, um, is how, and I love what you did in switch on your brain. 
um, where you have the scripture and say that science is finally catching up with scripture. And so, so much of what you're saying is, is so encouraging because it makes sense, not only from a, what you experience in life, but from a biblical perspective as well. Yes. And so that's something that I, I, I just want to talk a little bit about identity. And I know your new book, The Perfect You, talks about identity a lot. Yes. And that's really what it's based on is finding you know your identity. And we talk a lot about on this show how if we could really just train people up in their identity, men and women, and who they truly are created to be, a lot of the orphan crisis would be alleviated. A lot of the issues around the world would be alleviated because people would see how they're created to serve, how they're created to love, and that would take care of a lot of issues. It's not a... No, it's uh, very good. It's very not good, a, you know, idealistic, like, utopia. No, it's it's real, just a reality. No, it's reality. Can it's, you speak to that yeah. for, you know, from what, you know, and, and, and share a little bit about your book as well. I want you to be able to share with everyone about what the book is about and Thank how it you. relates to that idea and that concept. Thank you. Well, first of all, that's a brilliant way you've said that now the way you describe that is excellent and you've hit the nail, you've hit the nail on the head it's really um, identity is core to who we are and I often think that we know all the nice words around identity but we don't always understand the science of identity and that's where, where I love science I always say in terms of the biblical side of things the, the Bible gives us the story and science tells us the how of the story mm. you know and it's basically there's no conflict between them and, right. and it's just um, ignorance that people think that there is on both the religious and the, and the scientific side when you really look at what science is telling you, it's pointing directly to God, which is exactly what we see 95% of people in quantum physics um, are dealing us actually saying that we come from God as a source. So that's, that's the first part I wanted to just handle. The second part is that in terms of our identity, the book I wrote was called The Perfect You. And when people say, oh, we're never perfect, and how many times have you yourself, or I've even caught myself in the past, not, not anymore, or you hear people saying from the stage or people in leadership saying, well, I'm not perfect, you know. Mm-hmm. But I actually challenge that because actually if you look at whose image you made in, God's perfect. And if God made us in his image, there's a basic core fact here. Spiritually, we then have have a basic blueprint of perfection scientifically we see exactly the same thing we see that there is nothing in the human brain or body right down to the subatomic level that is wired for anything in the toxic fear zone we were actually wired for love we designed from our waves waving our particles up to our cells up to what we function as humans it's all wired for love so therefore the natural default of humanity is love so therefore, when we understand that we find that our, our identity therefore is perfect because love is perfect, but we have free will, which is the uniqueness of God's love for us. God could have made us robots. He didn't. God made mm-hmm. us able to think, feel, and choose. And it's in the choosing that we choose wrong. And when we choose wrong, we damage our identity. And when we have the events and circumstances of life happening to us, which we can't control, our identity is damaged. And when you don't know who you are, as you very clearly um, said, it affects everything. And so people will go through life with an orphan mentality, mm-hmm. a mindset that keeps them locked in labels. I'm very anti-labels. I'm very anti-people saying, you know, saying that, um, yes, you, your history, your story is that you're an orphan or your story is that whatever. But that's not who you are. That's your story. So mm-hmm. let's say who you are. So let's see how that story, did that story damage your brain? Did that story... Um, did that story damage your brain? Did that story, which it would have done. But that's okay because we can redesign that story. So um, in terms of the perfect you, I, go, I spent a lot of time in clinical practice with my patients, helping them to understand how they uniquely would think, feel, and choose because they would come to me, all manner, all different types of patients with so many issues, a lot of them orphans, a lot of them traumatized, abused, learning problems, dementia, Alzheimer's, autism, you name it, the labels, the drama. Mm-hmm. They would come with files, huge files filled with all their problems. And so my objective with 
the perfect you was literally to say before we look at all of that because that's not who you are right. that's I respect honor and understand it's part of your story we're going to honor that we're going to spend time but first let's find you because when you know you you can deal with that mm-hmm. stuff and that's been my objective and that's the objective of the perfect you and that's the objective of any person any human we want to yeah. honor and respect the humanity the beautiful humanity right. in so in the perfect you book I give this profiles and there's checklists and there's all practical ways of helping people to start learning to develop the blueprint of their perfect you and help others and whatever so it's got multiple uses and I explain all the science and the philosophy and quantum physics behind this natural unique identity of mankind Mm -hmm. and I think as a parent I just think of when I'm talking with my kids and I say you're acting lazy you're acting but you're not Exactly. That's not that's who you good. are. That's very good. Right? And very good. Because, and I think that's a, like a basic form, what you're talking about here, it seems like, right? Like, Oh, absolutely. Instead of saying you are lazy, yeah. you're saying you're acting lazy. Yeah. Because you are lazy will crush a person's right. spirit. Exactly. And make them feel like, they, and especially coming from a parent figure or a caregiver or an authority figure, those words were so unbelievably damaging mm-hmm. um, to the court. One of those things is like stabbing you in the gut right. kind of thing. So it's very important to say, that's not who you are, but you're acting like that. Right. And that's going against, you know, whatever. So, yeah, it's it's a subtle but massive change. Yeah, and I think you talked about it with the orphan stigma around the world, right? There's so many kids that are that have an orphan heart. Yeah. And the, that's what I love about this. And I think kind of bring it full circle with what we started this with. And I know that I know that you got to go here in a couple minutes. And so I want to I want to finish up knowing that we're going to get you back on. Absolutely. Knowing that this and is just the beginning of a conversation. This, yeah, this is a great conversation. And so I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, to see where this goes from here. But I just want you to kind of, you know, talk about um, just really quickly how um, the uh the conversation of identity and the conversation neuroplasticity. And we didn't get into epigenetics today, but that we did, but just we didn't call it epigenetics. The idea that, you know, our thoughts change Change our brain. Change our brain. Yeah, that's linked um, to neuroplasticity. Right. And so there's all these big terms, these big, you know, these big things that I know a lot of people, if you're like me, your head's spinning right now. And I, I encourage you to listen to this again and go get, um, go to doctor doctorleaf.com to really understand these issues because they are so core to what we're doing around the world with orphan and vulnerable children. But can you just quickly just give a two minute summary for our people around the world to to just kind of understand the idea of, you know, there is hope here in the context of when a child is broken in his his or her childhood by lack of attachment, by trauma of any kind, by parents who who abuse them. What, what is the hope for us to, as we're working with these children to be able to know that we can help them to understand who they're created to be? Well, probably the easiest way to sum it up is to say we cannot control the events and circumstances of our life, but we can control our reactions. And that's the message we need to get through to our children and, and anyone who's gone through any form of abuse and trauma, which is pretty much all of us, as I said, in varying levels. So that the hope is in that we have the ability to control our emotions and our reactions and change our brain. And that's, and change, in other words, change our life, change our, we can literally reach back in the past and redesign our past. We can retell our story. And that's, we are able to do scientifically, that's a fact. Spiritually, it's a fact. And we are predominantly spiritual beings. So when we apply the quantum physics principles and all the science principles I teach in my materials, we are doing exactly what the Bible's telling us to do in terms of spirituality, that there's tremendous hope that we can find our identity again. We can change our world. That's, that the past does not have to dictate our future. 
and we can be set free. We can control our reactions. That power that's in us, we need to get that message through to these people that have been hurt. And all of us, we all need that realization. Absolutely. And I we think that's locked in. Yeah, I think that's so critical too, is that I need it and you need it. Exactly. And we need it. We all need On to continue to be doing basis. this. Yeah. You know, I still have my parents are still alive, still together. They raised me in incredible ways and I need this every day as well. Exactly, exactly. Because no one's yeah. No yeah. one's doing everything right all the time. And that's part of the development of our perfect identity. Right. So through our choices we step out. So we shouldn't be saying, I'm not perfect, you know. And using that as an excuse, we should be saying, I've stepped out of my perfection. Let me step back in my perfection. Right. Let me seek after the love nature that is my natural nature. Yeah. And if we can, as humanity can do that, we see things so differently. And it also changes our brain and our body, increases right. our resilience. We can do so much more in that state versus in the toxic state. Absolutely. And that reminds me of Sermon on the Mount where God says, you know, Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is exactly. perfect. Right? It's not... And knowing that we're not going to be perfect all the time, but just because we can't do it all the time doesn't mean we don't strive for it. We can change regularly, right? Because exactly. we can strive for the ideal, even though we know that we can't be perfect. And moment by moment, every day we can do that. As right. science shows, you heard me teach this morning that every ten seconds we can self-regulate. Right. That's six times a minute. So we we have the tools and the physiology and everything physical to do it. Absolutely. We just got to discipline our minds to do it and help each other to do it. Right. Well, that's a great place to end this this part of our conversation which is just beginning so thank you so much for your time thank you and uh folks out there you know please share your any questions you might have and we can we can look forward to having dr leaf back on the show sometime soon thank you so much i appreciate it thank you Thanks again, Dr. Leaf, for uh, sharing uh, your wisdom with us. And, and as I said before that interview, folks, this, this woman has so much wisdom to share with us. She's a brilliant woman that has researched this stuff a ton. And, you know, these are, these are things that are so critical for us to understand. This plasticity of the brain, the fact that we can ourselves train our brains, um, you know, to really... By, through the mind as she talks about and so I'm not going to talk much more because I want to hear from you Rick what what do you think uh, about this interview with Dr. Leaf yeah you know Phil I was really kind of a kid in the candy store waiting to to get this interview and and even to listen to it just because of the exciting things that uh, you know that we've learned through Dr. Leaf's research and, and other folks that are uh, you know that are in her uh, in her field in um, neurobiology I I, th- I think you know as a as a graduate student a PhD student in the mid 90s uh, this has been a conversation that's been going on in uh, in circles of of brain research for a long time. I think the thing that that most struck me in listening to her interview is how much more we know about the brain, um, how much more we we understand about how God has wired us um, to be able to recover and and to be reformed uh, through and, and to be resilient through um, traumatic and, and difficult experiences that may have shaped us, but how little our practice has changed uh, in light of what we know. Uh, I, I think, you know, part of it is, man, my heart was grieved as I was listening to her um, talk about the incredible potential that we, that we see uh, and that we come to know about 
about the you know the the possibility to really rewire the human brain through purposive activity but but I, I can tell you as as a father of of a child who has a traumatic background and and who has some some really significant struggles uh, the the practicality of our experience tells us that that most of the people around us that are positioned to help um, they they don't know the things that Dr. Leaf knows and and they and they struggle to practice um, things that are really, you know, really incredibly helpful. And so I, I think my my challenge for for myself and for our listeners is to to be consumers of the research that people like Dr. Leaf and, and others that are in uh, in her lane are doing. But but also for us to begin to think about the implementation of those ideas and, and what we must do next next in changing school environments, changing therapy environments, in, in, in changing our homes even, and, and really reducing down to the practical action, a- applications that people can understand so that, so that we really do take advantage of what we know. Because right now, truly, uh, I, I don't think we are. Yeah. You know, it, it's something that I was introduced to this thinking, um, this idea of the um, mind controlling the brain in the context of back pain. There is a book called Healing Back Pain by Dr. Sarno. He recently passed away, but a friend of mine, not a Christian, sent me this book and, I, and he said, read this book. And as I talked about in, in the preview episode, when somebody sends me a book, I'm going to read it. And it was fascinating because it talks about how back pain is mostly in the mind. People are like, no, it's not. It's, it's it's, you know, it's, it's pathology. It's, you know, there, but they did MRIs of like a hundred patients and they took these, these MRIs to doctors and they said, where's the, where's the pain? They said, oh, it's sciatica. It's this, it's this, it's this. None of those hundred patients had any manifestation of pain, but their MRIs showed just jacked up lumbar, you know, L5, L6, because most of us have jacked up backs. But it was the idea that when your brain uh, has stress. It doesn't want to deal with it. So it projects it to the weakest point of the body. And so when you don't, uh, you know, really capture your thoughts, right? It, you know, and when you don't transform your mind, renew your mind, you know, and, and again, as I talked to her about in the interview, um, as I talked to her before the interview, the, the thing that's really come to me is that really the, uh, the idea of Romans 1 and 2, 12, 1 and 2, mm talking mm-hmm. about surrendering that we can offer our bodies as living sacrifices. And, you know, she talks so much about the renewal of the brain, the renewal of the mind. Well, that's a passive act after we surrender. Mm-hmm. And it's something that is so critical to understand. Like the Holy spirit will allow us to not conform to the, to the thoughts of the world not conform to the world and it will transform us by the renewal of our mind and when we do that all of a sudden this stuff you know it, it's it's amazing what it will do but but to take that that's in us that's in, in you who have you know don't have a lot of the issues that that come with trauma when you add that to the mix to, to, to know that the brain is plastic to know that they're you know, she said you can't control the invention circumstances in our lives but we can control our reactions to them Right. Like that's so powerful when you're talking about 
the, the context of the work that we're doing. And so anyway, I know that it's, it's a lot closer to you and your heart and your life because you're literally dealing with it in your house every day. Um, I mean, I am too, obviously with myself and my children, but, it, but at different levels, right? In different, in different ways. But, uh, you know, how did that conversation about, cause you know, it, there's stuff that we've heard about over the last few years. It's, you know, as I talked about with her and talk about the, you know, 80% of the brain development occurs before, before the age of two. And she's just like, that's just not right. Yeah. Yeah. And this stuff is yeah, like, I mean, my, you know, it's like, what? That's what we hear all the time from people that are really yeah. smart. So what do you do with all that? Well, I, I think it, there's an incredible hopefulness, um, that, that comes out of a conversation like this. I mean, I think, I think every time I I've had the opportunity to interact with, um, you know, with this interview with Mandy Howard, with others that, you know, we've had the privilege to talk to that, that, that really have, have delved more deeply in, in a, in a research uh, way to understanding plasticity and, and understanding the malle- malleability of the brain. Um, I, I come away as an, as an adoptive parent um, and, and a, a parent of, of children who struggle with, um, you know, with their past and with things that have happened, uh, you know, to them in their past with, a, with an incredible hopefulness to say that this is not something that is that's static, that that has to always be. I think there also is is a bit of a counterbalance to me to also say that I'm uh, that I'm a bit fearful of that conversation uh, because I, I think left unchecked and and one of the things I, th- I love about Dr. Leaf is the fact that she she balances the conversation with filtering all of this through a, a, a biblical worldview. Right. And and so there's the idea that this is not a conversation that digresses into unlimited human potential. Mm-hmm. This is not, you know, this is not something that that digresses into having your best life now. Right. What what it what it what it points to is uh, is a God who's who has created us, who who uh, you know really points to the fact that we're fearfully and wonderfully made, and that through through a healthy proper understanding of who God is and and how He's created us and who He's created us to be, we can capture this power that's been created within us to, um, you know, to to essentially be able to take hold of our thoughts, to take our thoughts captive as, you know, as the apostle Paul talks about and, and to do that in a way that, that even allows, um, you know, the, 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 the brain to repair itself because of what we're able to do actively through the mind. And, you know, I, I think it, it speaks to the, to the incredible creative initiative of our God. It speaks to the, to the limitlessness and, and the depth of, you know, of, of who God is. I, I'm drawn to think back to an old book, uh, you know, Darwin's black box and, and Michael Bay and, and, you know, kind of that idea that, that what we're seeing in, in, in what we what we now understand about the human brain is is reflective of this idea that every time we think we have all of this figured out and we we think we have a stable construct of understanding the universe and our place in it and how we're made and how we're constructed what we end up doing inevitably is cracking another layer of complexity that helps us to know how little we actually know mm-hmm. um, that we go one level deeper and 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 we, we we sort of peel back the layers and things that that 
that we thought were absolute, like that idea that that the brain is pretty much a finished construct after the age of two, um, that that's not that's patently not true at all. And so there's an incredible hopefulness in that. Um, but I but I think a bit of a warning to say let's let's make sure that we interpret that in light of of God and who He is, and in the light of Jesus and the work that He's done. Um, the other part of this for me, man, is is just really there is a frustration that that comes at this to say that our our knowledge of of an understanding of how this works has has mushroomed, but but our application of it, as I said before, has has really lagged behind, and and so I think that that part of where we have to be active these days is in a conversation to say that our. Our, our understanding of training processes for teachers and for psychologists and for other interventional interventionalist therapists needs to evolve to to really take account for um, you know for for this knowledge and and in in many ways it hasn't and and so we're still applying nineteenth um, and in 20th century thinking and techniques to things that we understand in a much more sophisticated way. Um, and, and quite honestly, we're not seeing um, the, the real benefit of, of this in the lives of many children because we know that things can be better, but we're not seeing them get better because our techniques haven't changed. Hmm. Yeah. You know, and the other thing that, that, I totally agree with all that. And I totally agree with Dr. Leaf. The one, and I, and I, but all I keep hearing in my head are like the, the people that I have talked to about this and they're, they're saying, what, well, but, but, but this, and but this, and but this, and but this. And I agree with all these other, you know, the, the people that are doubting, not agree with them, but I, I understand them and I, and I understand their concern and it's a real concern and something we need to be very uh, aware of is that they say, well, you won't care about attachment if you just say that we can fix the brains later. And that's not what we're saying here. And that's not what Dr. Leaf is saying. You know, she says attachment right. is real. Right. And we right, don't. Right. We don't stop doing that because if you want, you don't want to have to fix something. Right. You want to be able to say, uh, you know, we we need to. It's a both and approach, right? We need to do everything that we're talking about with attachment. We need to do everything that we're talking about with connection and to love these children as they need to be loved before the age of two and after the age of two and their whole life, right? But, but what this is, you said, it's just so much hope that if there is that brokenness, if there is that trauma, we can come in and we can repair it. Now, will it ever be completely the 100% the same? Probably not. I'll tell you what, this is way more hope than you're kind of hosed if you don't have attachment before the age of two. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Which sure. is pretty much the message yeah. that you're hearing a lot. Right. 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 And, you know, and again, it doesn't mean you test the theory, <laughs> you know, it, right. it means, well, you, you, and, you use that hope. Right. And Phil, I think that, you know, the message here is the same message that we continue to beat the drum for in, in other areas of caring for orphan and vulnerable children. And it's, it's for open collaboration. Mm -hmm. I, I think one of the, one of the, the things that, that is really brought to light in, in this whole conversation is that you have 
we we have tribes of people who who kind of look at their piece of this as being the most important piece and there's there's not enough real interaction going on in the conversation about how to how to apply all that we know and so you know those that would point to the importance of attachment and would say you know this is dangerous talk and dangerous thinking because because it'll lead us not to think about attachment properly um, no we need to be thinking about both it's not either or it's both and 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 we've got to get to the table with each other to understand how all of this information meshes and and how best um, we we honor it all yeah. as and and we just allow truth to be truth absolutely okay we we uh, we need to draw student we could talk about this for hours but the one last thing I want to I want to throw out to you and this is another very uh, controversial and major issue in what we're talking about it's it's, it's the medicating Right. And what she said in this, she's very, very much against medication. I know Karen is, it says, you know what, if, if, if there's a need for medication, we need to use it. And you know what she said, when you medicate the children, you numb their brains. And I know that this is a much, it was a very much a conversation I need to have much deeper with, with Dr. Leaf because I know there's much more to it. But I want to hear what your thinking is on that and uh, with your experience uh, with your children and and what you've seen with other children. Yeah, I, I think practically I would say that it's it's very much the it's very much the road in between again. Um, I would I would side more with with Karen in that conversation just based on what I've seen out of experience. But I think it's it's like, um, you know, things that I, I, I'll take this into a completely different realm and say, you know, when when doctors, when we treat depression, um, the idea most of the time in, in given a, an antidepressant isn't that a person will live on that forever mm -hmm. it's about creating the space so that a so that a person can then you know consciously work on the things that are you know that are that are the agents of of depression and it's kind of giving the room i'll i mean i'll i'll tell you i i suffered for uh for a season with uh through panic disorder mm. and and i can tell you that i i would not have I would not have made it probably without the the gift of medication that was able to to sort of stave off the effects of that. But but the good happened in in cognitive behavioral therapy and in learning how to learning how to deal with that and learning how to deal and understand the triggers of the things that were causing it. And so so today I don't live on medication and I also don't have panic attacks. And and it's it was it was a process, but but I'm convinced that that the medication opened up the opportunity to really be able to deal with the underlying issues. Um, and, and so I, I think it's, you know, as a, as a parent that's dealt with this with, you know, with our children, medication is not the answer. Um, but, but neither is, uh, have we found is therapy, uh, without the benefit of medication to, to help the therapy to be effective. And so I, I would have to hear a whole lot more from Dr. Leaf on, on mm -hmm. that and, and understand at a much deeper level because it, it really just doesn't square with the experience that I've had. Yeah. You know, and I think that she would probably say when it's acute in the acute stage, I'm guessing, I'm, I don't want to put words into her mouth, but, uh, I'm guessing you say, you know, like with back pain, if you have it already and it's there, you need to deal with it in different ways than you would in when it's not there. And so I, th I, I'm, I'm guessing that's the case because there, there is a time and place. But if, like you said, if it's an ongoing thing, you say, just numb it 
then that's a problem yeah. for anything. Well, yeah. and I think I think the, the the difficulty is, and even in a, in a setting like listening to an interview like this, is is things can come out and seem pretty polemic, mm-hmm. and, and they can seem really absolute. And 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 honestly, given the opportunity to talk and dialogue, um, most things aren't like right. there there are there are shades as you, as you've you know as you've expressed. And I think the danger many times in these conversations is that we take these very absolutist positions um, and and quite honestly they're kind of relationally and intellectually lazy yep absolutely um, and so what we need to do is to exercise the brains that God God has given us and to live in the relationships that God's given us the potential for and and delve deeply to understand how all this stuff works together yeah absolutely I'm glad you said that because I totally agree with that and that's why we do this show I think is because so often we say, Oh, we just totally disagree with that person. They're a, you know, fill in the blank for the word we use to describe them. When the fact of the matter is, we probably agree on way more than we disagree on. And so, you know, with that, you know, I'm I'm just gonna say too, with that, with Dr. Leaf, I am so glad that a few years ago, my my wife, we were at Q together in Nashville. It's the first time I saw Dr. Leaf. She was on stage, and I actually didn't understand anything she was talking about. It was, you know, the language she was using, like, what in the world? Neuroplasticity. It was like, wah, 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 wah. And I'm like, honey, I got to use the restroom. So I did. And then fortunately, my wife was like, that was the best talk of the entire three days. It was amazing. She was geeking out. She was a psych major. And so I went back and listened to the talk later and I was like, man, oh man, I so wish I would have listened to this thing live. It was amazing. Mm. It was incredible. Then I read her book and then I listened to her book and then I watched her TED Talks and I was like, okay, this is the real deal, amazing stuff, you know? And so I actually understood the words better and they, you know, cause as a guy who avoided science, like the plague in college, you know, except what I had to take, you know, this stuff was all brand new to me. And, you know, I've learned a lot over the years in this stuff, but this is a lot of it's new science too. So if I would have learned it back in the early nineties when I was in college, I, it would be new now. So, so it was so fascinating. And then to be able to, to sit down with her, she was at the CAFO research symposium last year, spoke for an hour. It's fantastic talk, be able to sit down with her, talk with her. And, and I, I look forward to, you know, she, she said it on the show. I'm gonna hold her to it. Um, and we're excited to do it, to have another interview with her down the road. And, um, very excited to, to go deeper into some of these issues like the medication conversation because I think it's so important for us to fully understand. So anyway, um, I wanted to share all that. I'm, I'm excited uh, again, Rick, for this season. Uh, we're going to finish off this show with a, a quick recommendation. Uh, Phil and Dr. Rick, yeah, folks, he's a doctor too. So uh, recommend. Um Real quick recommendations, because I did a lot of recommendations during the preview show. If you want a bunch of book recommendations and movie recommendations, uh, documentary recommendations, uh, you know, go back to that. But this one is called uh, The Entitlement Cure by Dr. John Townsend. You, know, you may know, recognize the name from The Boundaries uh, with, with Cloud and mm. Townsend. And uh, it's a fantastic book about, you know, the cure for entitlement. Uh, and entitlement is a massive issue with our children, um, particularly in the United States. But I think in, in, you know, it's creeping all around the world as, as uh, in different ways. And it manifests differently in different cultures, in different ways. But I know where I live in the suburbs of California, it is just brutally strong and something that we need to uh, deal with and address or else we're going to have um, very unpleasant people to deal with uh, in the future. And so, folks, go grab that book. 
read it, listen to it, consume it, however you do. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll have him on the show someday talking about it. All righty. So take all that you learned today, folks. Take uh, everything you're learning as you read, as you watch different things. Use it all to help you to love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. And for all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening. And we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.